0: Welcome to You Can Read the Bible's Brief Introductory Lesson on the Immediate Layer of Meaning in Scripture, part of our uh, overall introductory guide on how to read the Bible. My name is Matt Carter. So as we've mentioned in prior lessons, there are three layers of meaning in, in the Bible, and particularly in biblical narratives. Remember, narratives are stories. Most of the Bible is using narratives and stories. They're trying to tell us something. For instance, historical narratives are ways of telling us in the present something Uh, in a specific intentional way. They retell the past on purpose to tell us something about it. So when we read uh, stories in the Bible, they're operating on these three layers. It's important for me to emphasize that none of these layers involves some sort of secret, hidden, or uniquely personal meaning, and it's also the case that there's not a moral lesson to be learned from these stories. Instead, there are these three distinct, deeply related layers of meaning present within Biblical narratives. Now the first layer concerns the immediate stories of the individual characters themselves. So uh, Abraham and Isaac go up a mountain without a a ram but with a stack of wood. That's the immediate layer. The second layer is about how later Old Testament passages and and especially New Testament passages interact with and interpret these immediate layer stories. So for example, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. Matthew is interacting with and interpreting Hosea chapter 11. So this covenantal layer concerns the interaction with and fulfillment of the old covenant by the new covenant. That's why I call that layer the covenantal layer. The third and deepest layer of meaning is the meta-narrative layer. This is telling us God's plan for restoring all of creation to its intended glory. Now this plan was not fully revealed to somebody like Abraham, who believed and had faith that God would faithfully keep his promises because history and revelation progress towards Christ at their center. But this, this layer is the meta narrative layer. Now today's lesson focuses on the immediate layer of meaning. And this is comprised of the many smaller narratives of, of individual characters and, and groups. These are the material, they form the basis for the covenantal and meta narrative layers. This layer can be a simple story about a single individual, or it can be a compound narrative comprising a string of characters like that of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph found in Genesis. To make sense of this layer, there are five features that we should pay attention to. And in trying to make sense of these stories, we need to to understand what these layers are. The first of these features is about the narrator. The narrator is almost never mentioned in the text. It's the person who chooses what to tell us. In biblical narratives, the narrator is what we call omniscient. They know everything about the story. The narrator does not share all of all of what is known and, and doesn't even usually comment on the unfolding story. He often wants to draw you into the story so that you see things for yourself. The narrator also functions as a way of providing the story's divine point of view. So we can learn about God's point of view directly, as when the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, gets repeated 14 times in Genesis chapter 39. Most often, however, this point of view is disclosed, uh, this, this divine point of view is disclosed through one of the characters. So for example, at the end of the narrative in Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20, Joseph tells the reader, by replying to one of his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's the divine point of view coming through the mouth of Joseph. The second of these features are the scenes. Biblical narratives work through scene changes, not really character development. And in this way, biblical narratives are a whole lot like movies or plays. The story gets told through a succession of scenes, and each scene is its own. But it's the action that happens through successive scenes that really tells the story. Let's think about Genesis 37 and the way that the scenes work there. So scene one, Joseph tells on his brothers who hate him because he is their father's favorite son. All right. Scenes two and three, Joseph has two outrageously tactless dreams. And those those set up the next scene, which is scene four. In scene four, Joseph looks for his brothers, but does not find them. And this creates a dramatic pause in the action to create a dramatic entrance for pivotal scene five, and that lets us know that the timings of uh, uh, that occur in scene five are divinely planned. Now, if we miss the connection between the dramatic pause between f- scenes four and five and the divine plan, when we first read this story, the narrator won't let us uh, miss that because he will continue to repeat, the Lord was with Joseph in Genesis 39. So the if we don't catch the dramatic pause the first time through we'll get it the second. So then scene 5 and this is a this scene is a great composite scene and, and Joseph enters and his brothers plot to kill him. Then the Midianites arrive and interwoven in this is Reuben and Judah's guilt and, and then their plan to sell him. Then in scene 6 Joseph ends up in Egypt and he's the servant of a well-to-do royal official. Now each scene is its own but they really need to be read in sequential order and all the way through in order to really get the story's plot line. So because these scenes are told through, or I'm sorry, because these stories are told through scenes, they're not usually a whole lot of characters that are involved. Because of that, each character usually counts, but as they say in Orwell's Animal Farm, some count for far more than others. So the protagonist or main character often faces an antagonist who's working against him or her. And then the agonists are sort of the benchwarmers who come in and out of the story to, uh, to uh, interact with the protagonist and the antagonist. Now, there, these biblical stories are a lot like movies, but they don't dwell on on external appearances, unlike movies. So when you do run across a physical description, it's almost always important. So remember, these stories use status, profession, and, and group memberships to flesh out characters, not eye color and height and stuff like that. So character development does not occur through the narrator's descriptions, but through the actions and words of the characters themselves, and especially that's the case with the protagonist. So let's think about how we learn about character development of the protagonist Joseph in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. In the opening scene, Joseph is a spoiled brat, but by the end of the story in chapter 50, he's a wise, faithful, humble, and loving man. So we hear that from his words, and we see that from his actions. The narrator doesn't tell us that. So Also, characters are often presented in parallel or in contrast, and when they're in parallel, one of the characters is usually a reenactment or a fulfillment of the other. So, for example, John the Baptist is a reenactment of Elijah, and and when we hear people say that, that's telling us something at the covenantal layer of meaning. Uh, So, if you were, for instance, to read the first two chapters of 1 Samuel, and then read the first two chapters of Luke, you'd see that Hannah is is reenacted by mary Um, more often though rather than uh, uh, in parallel biblical characters are often contrasted with each other so sometimes this happens by contrasting one group with another group so um, joseph is contrasted with his brothers right at the outset of the story and then the character development of both joseph and judah draw them together by the end of the story the first i'm sorry the fourth feature Uh, at the immediate layer is the dialogue, because that's where characterization really happens. There's three features of dialogue to keep in mind. First, the first chunk of dialogue is usually the most important. So back to our example, Genesis 37 with Joseph. Protagonist Joseph arrogantly and tactlessly tells his extravagant dream to his brothers and his father. His His antagonist brothers set the plot in motion by hating him with their words but the, the side character Jacob, the agonist, he, quote, kept the matter in mind. When you read something like that, that's a frequent narrative clue that the, that, that, that is using the, the words of the agonist to tell the reader, you should also do this. You should also keep the matter in mind. Also bear in mind that, that one dialogue is often contrasted with another so that we pay attention to the difference. If one character says something, and, and about a matter, and another character says something different about the matter, how is that difference relevant? That's a question to ask every time we see that difference in dialogues. Third, important dialogue is often emphasized by the I'm sorry, emphasized by the storyteller using repetition or really long monologues. So anytime you see a character speaking for a long time, and you turn in the page and he's still talking, that means it's important. So resist the temptation to skim or skip over long dialogue or repetitious dialogue. So the fifth feature is the repetitious, I'm um, sorry, the rep- repetitive structure of the narrative. So these stories, remember, they were not originally written down, they were told. So they're designed for a hearer to get meaning from them. And to do that, you really need to hear things over and over again, it requires repetition. So keywords and phrases are repeated. Remember. The, quote, the Lord was with Joseph is repeated 14 times in Genesis chapter 39 alone. It's almost as if Moses was just asking, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Figuring out which words are repeated and why is an important part of getting to what these stories are actually telling us. One of the ways that repetition happens in narratives is through something called inclusion, which simply means that the story begins and it ends in the same way. So, Think about our story with Joseph again. Joseph's brothers bow to him both at the very beginning and at the ending of the story. Now, there's a kind of neat biblical way of of doing repetition called a chiasm, and and that's just a fancy way of saying that the narrative follows this pattern A, B, C, B, A. And another uh, very common way that this happens in biblical narratives is what, through what's called foreshadowing. And and in that, a, a brief mention of something is initially made, later on that will be fleshed out. Foreshadowing is often part of the covenantal layer, and that tells us a fuller picture of the story than the immediate layer can, can flesh out. And, and to be honest, uh, picking up on foreshadowing usually requires uh, reading uh, the story, uh, you know, multiple times to to sort of notice this, and then certainly to pick up on the meaning that's there. So that's another encouragement to really pay attention to uh, getting into the habit of reading the Bible over and over and over again, because you will never exhaust it. It won't run out of meaning for you. Okay, so to wrap this up, what are the things that we should pay attention to in the immediate layer? First of all, for, for with regard to the narrator, well, who's narrating? And what's the divine point of view in the story? For scenes... What are the scenes? How do the scenes and the way that they're ordered tell the action and plot of the story? For characters, who are they? Who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? Who are the agonists? What character development occurs? Are there any parallel or contrasting characters? For dialogue, what's the important first dialogue? Are there any repeating dialogues? Are there any uh, really long monologues or speeches? Are there any contrasting dialogues? And then finally, for repetitious uh, structure, uh, what is being repeated in this narrative? Are there any keywords? Is there a chiasm, an A, B, C, B, A form of repetition? Or is there any foreshadowing? These are the things to keep in mind as you're reading biblical narratives. What is happening? How do I make sense of things on the immediate layer? Thank you.